I'm going to go to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2 says, Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? Why, why uh, you don't look sick to me? You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I will be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. Okay, bold plan, bold plan here. Nehemiah, we talked last week about how he heard this really sad news that in Jerusalem, God's people were there, but the city walls had been torn down. There were no gates. They were troubled. God's people were troubled and disgraced. When your walls were torn down in this day and age, it was bad for the city because any army could invade, any criminals could come in and raid your territory. So these people were in a bad position and this broke Nehemiah's heart. His heart was broken for God's people. And we said that as Christians, we're supposed to have a broken heart for lost people who still don't know Jesus Christ. Because we know that lost people who don't know Jesus are separated from him now. And if they persist separated from God and happen to die, then it's over and they'll spend eternity separated from God in hell. And that should break our hearts. But then what we do is we take our broken hearts to God and God brings hope to our broken hearts. And then hope makes us bold. Hope makes us bold, doesn't it? And we know that hope made Nehemiah bold. And last week I said he started to formulate this bold plan. Notice that when the king asked him, what's wrong with you? Why do you look so sad? Are you in a bad mood? What's going on? It said in verse 5, he responded, if it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city. Okay, I want you to notice that because it brings up an important lesson, an important principle for life. I want you to prepare for your future. I want you to plan for your future. And here's what you need to do. Plan for your future by planning to be faithful. This is what Nehemiah models for us. When the king asked him, how can I help you? He didn't just jump right into his request. He started out by reminding the king subtly that he had been a faithful servant. He said, if you're pleased, in verse 5, with your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city. In other words, man, if I've been doing a good job, hear my request. If you've been happy with how I've served you, Hear my request. He had been faithful. He had served with integrity and with commitment consistently for a long time. It's easy to do the right thing. It's hard to keep doing the right thing for a long time. And a lot of people, they don't get the opportunities in life that God wants them to have because they're not faithful where God has them right now. If you want to prepare for your future and plan to have a great future, start being faithful today where God has you. Work with integrity consistently and commitment on an ongoing basis. Watch God bless you. Because he had been faithful, he was in position to share his bold plan with the king. And we know he had a bold plan because the king asked him, how can I help you? And then Nehemiah was ready. He knew how the king could help him. He said, well, I need to do this and I'm going to be gone this long and I'm going to travel this route and I'm going to need this much supply. So I'll need a letter to the guy who runs your forest so I can have wood. I'm going to need all these things. He had answers. Why? Because he had been making a plan. Yeah. He had a plan. He first heard about the walls being torn down in Jerusalem in Kislev. That was the month, November, December. And then now, passage says it's Nisan. 
That's not Nissan truck month. It's like mid-March to mid-April. So that tells me that Nehemiah had waited about four months. What was he doing that whole time? He was planning and he was praying. He was planning and he was praying. You know that it's actually godly to plan. It's biblical to plan. And there are some Christians, they don't think that. They don't know that. That God can actually work just as much through our strategy as he can work spontaneously. God is outside and above of our linear timeline. That means he sees the past, present, and future. So he's able to work in our hearts and guide us in the planning process even, just as much as when we actually face our problems. You realize that God can be with you even as you plan? He can prepare you in advance for what you're going to face and speak to you now, even as you plan. Nehemiah had spent time planning. He didn't just rush in and try to fix the problem immediately back in the fall. He waited all the way till the spring before he was bringing this request to the king. He planned. Now, I know there have been times when I saw a problem and I just rushed in. I'm going to fix this right now. And then I found out I had no idea what I was talking about. And all I did was make it worse. But he shows us that planning is a godly thing. And God can bless our planning process. I would say that a plan allows you to do things with integrity, with intentionality, and avoid a lot of the pain that we experience when we just rush. Can anybody relate to that? Jesus said in Luke 14, but don't begin until you count the cost. Plan. Think ahead. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Jesus is speaking. And in reference, in context here, what he's saying is, if you're going to follow me and be my disciple, first sit down and count the cost. A lot of people think following Jesus is just going to be sunshine and roses and puppies and rainbows. And sometimes you follow Jesus but find out life can still be hard. And so Jesus says, before you follow me, Count the cost. And one of these examples is this. Who would sit down? I'm going to build a building without first figuring out and planning ahead to find out what he's going to need and how much it's going to cost. Because God knows if you build half a building and then you can't finish it, people are going to laugh at you. So plan ahead. We should plan, but then we should also pray. We should pray. When the king asked Nehemiah, how can I help you? What can I do? We saw in this passage, if you read it carefully, you saw he quickly threw up a prayer to God. One of those moments of just throwing up a prayer. Sometimes something happens and you only have a quick second. And all you can do is just throw up a quick prayer. Oh, help me, Jesus. Here we go. Oh, man, here it goes. Right, that's all he could do. He prayed. And we know that during that four-month period, he was a man of God that he was planning, but he was also praying. He was praying. And we need to pray when we're looking to do God's will. We want to do what God's called us to do. And so we make a plan, but we also pray. You plan and you pray. Because you can make a great plan, but if it's not God's will, it will fail. That's why you got to plan and you got to pray. And then you keep planning and you keep praying. God uses our planning process and our prayer process to lead us into his will. So we want to think ahead, plan, strategize, but we also want to pray and step out in faith. It just makes sense. It's just biblical wisdom. So now when we talk about our bold campaign that we want to, man, we want to expand our church and make more room for lost people who need Jesus. And man, this new building in Mesa here is going to let us reach more than twice as many people on a weekend as we reach now. It's going to be awesome. It's going to give us space to do things that we can't even do right now. Like we're going to be able to start a special needs ministry for kids. It's going to be amazing. Man, so we've been planning. And man, I'll, I'll tell you what, when this conversation first started about building a building, because our church has been growing very fast for quite some time. Back a couple of years ago, I was having conversations with people and they were saying, man, you need to get ready to build a building because you're going to run out of space. But at the time, I felt like God was just saying, you need to wait. And I don't like to be told to wait. I mean, <laughs> I don't like waiting. I like doing. <laughs> I want to do it now. But I felt like God was just saying, you need to wait. It's not the right time because you could do something good. But if it's in the wrong timing, it won't be good. Right. You need to do the right thing in the right time. And then beginning of this year, God just was speaking to 
me and putting on my heart and just saying, it is time. Now it is time. And our leaders and our pastors and our board members and all of us have come to this place in unity, agreeing God's will is for us to build now. It is the time. We've planned and we've prayed and we know this is the time. So we have a bold plan to build our church. We have plans to make this facility nice, but affordable, effective, but also efficient. So there won't be any gold chandeliers and gold-plated toilets or anything like that. It's going to be affordable, but it'll work. It'll be modern. We want to be good stewards with money. And we are planning and praying. And as we've planned, we've done things responsibly that you have to do if you're going to build a multi-million dollar building. We've talked to architects and contractors and financial experts and banks to find out if these things could be lined up and done the right way. We've tried to prepare for this season by keeping our debt low as a church and keeping control of our budget because we want to be ready. We're trying to plan ahead because God blesses the planning process. And so we're at this point now. We're ready. We're ready to build this building, and we're going to expand our Ahwatukee campus to make more room, and we're going to see our church grow quickly. And man, you know people right now, family members and friends who don't know Jesus yet, but they're going to come to know Jesus in that new building. It's going to be epic. But what's so cool is that building that building is just phase one of our church's plan. Because we have a bold plan to build a church, but we also have a bold plan to reach the valley here in Phoenix. Yes. Amen. We don't want to just reach people in the Mesa community here, but we want to reach people all over Arizona. Yes. Right? People in the west side of the valley and north and south, because there are people all over the city that don't know Jesus. That's right. And the truth is this, that people will only usually drive about 20 to 30 minutes to go to church. The hardcore people will drive like 30 minutes. But, but honestly, past that, it's hard for people to be involved and for their kids to go to church. So we're not expecting that all kinds of people will just come to this campus, but we want to take our church to them where they're at. I want to explain how this works, okay? Because not everybody is a numbers person. So I brought illustrations. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Like, going to break it down real simple here. Now, here's how this works. When you come to church and you start giving to God, like many of you do, it brings resources to the church. We have resources as we give, resources to use to reach more people. But like anything in your household, you'll find there are expenses. Red is expenses. Green is money. Pretty simple so far, right? So fortunately, we have more giving than we have expenses. That's good, or else we wouldn't exist. Very simple, right? You got to live on less than you make, right? Like, and so this is a, a general um, principle for your family as well. So we have expenses. It costs money to, to you know, have the air conditioning on right now. Aren't you thankful for the air conditioning? And you know, thank God, <laughs> praise you, Jesus. Or else we would just call church off all summer. And uh, we have things we got to do, but because you give so faithfully, we can do it. That's right. So here's what's going to happen, all right? As we build this building, we're going to increase our expenses because our mortgage payment will be a little higher. It'll cost more to clean it. It'll cost more to take care of it. It'll cost more to minister to the kids and the families that will come. But what you'll see is historically, we know this is true, our church is going to grow very rapidly when we open this building. And you, a lot of you have been a part of a church that's built a building and made more space, and then it grew very rapidly. And that's going to happen here, too. I mean, it's just going to happen whether we like it or not. It's just what happens. And then what's going to happen is as new people come, they're going to experience God changing their life, and they're going to learn about trusting God with all parts of their lives, and they're going to start giving the way that you give now. And that's going to increase our resources as a church. As people give and our expenses will stay here, but our resources will keep going up, right. keep yeah. going up. And that's pretty amazing, right? Don't you want your personal finances to look like this? <laughs> You're like, keep going up, giving. And actually, let's get rid of some of that, right? Just like <laughs> cut costs. <laughs> All right, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> so what do you do when you have extra resources? 
Our goal as a church is to use our resources to reach people. Because we're not in the money-making business. We're in the soul-winning business. So, if you, you people might be like, well, you could build a bigger building. Well, we don't want a bigger building. We need a big enough building, but we don't want to just try to get more and more people coming to the Mesa campus. We want to go and reach them where they're at so that we can take these resources and reposition them around Arizona and start a campus in Queen Creek and in Gilbert and in Tempe and in the West Valley and in Maricopa City and in Scottsdale. I mean, we'll just keep going wherever there's people. We'll keep going. And we'll make those campuses stronger and we'll build them up and we'll make them more efficient and we'll have them grow and we'll see great things happen all over Arizona as we can take this strong foundation we're creating in Mesa and use the resources that God's going to give us to reach people who don't even live around this area. They would never drive here. That's okay. We're going to go to them. We're just going to go to them. So... That's so exciting because when you're a part of the bold campaign and building this building, it's not just going to help the people in Mesa, but you're beginning something that is going to change people's lives all over the state. Does that make sense? So if you don't understand our multi-site strategy, this is very common and churches do this all over America. If you don't understand it, you need to go visit our Ahwatukee campus. It's amazing. If you go to our Awatsuki campus, the worship is amazing. It's the same exact sermon. So (laughs) great kids ministry, great facilities. People are getting saved. People are getting baptized. You know, our Awatsuki campus last year grew at a faster percentage rate than even the Mesa campus. It's awesome. And we're one church family. I want to encourage you, if you've never been there, go visit it sometime just to see it. It's epic. It's just as good as being at the Mesa campus. And so we're going to recreate that experience all around Arizona because we're a multi-site church. And if you don't understand it, it's, we don't want all of our eggs in one basket. We want a lot of eggs in a lot of baskets. This is the most effective and efficient way to reach lost people. And we want to use the resources God gives us effectively and efficiently. That's what good stewards do. We want to reach as many people as we can, as quickly as we can, as far away as we can, right? That's what God has us here to do, to reach lost people. And what you'll find is that God will oftentimes, when you're stepping out in faith, he will go ahead of you and even begin working things out before you even get there. He does it in the Bible. It says in Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He says this a lot in scripture. The Lord will go before you. And Isaiah says the Lord will go before you and smooth out the rough places. How many of you say, man, I want God to go before me and start smoothing out rough places before I even get there. That's what God does for his people. We don't even know he's doing it half the time, but he goes before us and he starts fixing problems before we even face them. And we oftentimes just take it for granted. We don't even think to thank God because we don't even see the problem that he already fixed. Man, and man, we need to know he's going before us. He's smoothing rough places out. He's making a way where it seems there's no way. He's been doing that in Mesa. He helped us get this land down here to the south that will become our new parking lot. We wouldn't be able to build this building if we didn't have enough parking spaces. He's making a way. He's giving us favor with the city and the county when we talk about zoning and requirements and permits. He's going before us. He's making a way. We have a strategy to reach the whole valley. He's going before us. He's making a way. Listen to this exciting announcement. There is a family in our Ahwatukee campus who months ago started praying and talking to each other. And they got together, three generations, mom, kids, grandkids. They talked about it, and God was putting it on their hearts to make a difference. And they came to us and they said, God wants us to give 12 acres of land to Generation Church so that we can start a campus in Maricopa City. Isn't that epic? 
so they said, we just want to give this land to the church because God said there's a, a, a city here. It's the second fastest growing city in Arizona. There are 50,000 people there and a lack of good churches. There's a couple, but not enough for all the people that are there. And so, man, we get to come in and we are ahead of the game. God knew what we were planning to do before this family even did. But he was going before us and preparing a way by stirring up people's hearts to be generous. You realize this land that they're giving us is worth at least $640,000. And they just want to give it to the kingdom of God so that people far from God can experience new life in Jesus. That's so great, right? And man, God wants all of us to be a part of this mission and the way that our church is being blessed, the Lord, he wants all of you to be blessed as well. I want you to be able to be blessed individually, even as God blesses our church corporately. And so in order to be blessed, you have to plan. You know that you can plan to be blessed. I wanna explain this, plan to be blessed by planning to be generous. You can actually create a plan that will lead to your own blessing. Yes. This is amazing. Some people think that generosity is just something that you do spontaneously when you feel moved. You know, maybe you're watching TV and then you see a sad commercial about puppies and in the arms of an angel. Call right now, 1-800 and donate. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And like that spontaneous generosity is nice, but it's even more powerful when you plan to be generous. You can plan to be blessed by planning to be generous. I think of one young couple in our church, they're working on buying their first home. And so that's a big expense, but we're talking about this bold campaign and being generous. And they said, we're deciding right now what kind of family we wanna have, if we're gonna be a generous family or not. We wanna be a generous family, and so we're gonna give trusting God to take care of us. They're planning to be generous. This is a biblical concept. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says, Now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. But what did he say? Plan ahead. Set it aside on the first day of the week on a regular basis it's not spontaneous, it's strategic. It's happening on a regular basis. And he's talking to people about giving and being generous to help build the kingdom of God. And he's saying we can plan to be generous. Now listen, I just wanna say this really quick. Don't start getting all awkward when I talk about money. It's gonna be okay. <laughs> Some of you are Christians and you give and you understand how God blesses us when we give, but, but you're tempted to get all quiet and awkward right now. Like, oh, he's doing it. He's talking about money. Don't be like that, right? Because you know that God blesses us when we're generous. And so we are committed to teaching people the truth, whether it makes them uncomfortable or not, because the truth is what sets you free and leads to blessing in your life. So here's how you plan to be generous. You make it a regular part of your life. You can budget to be generous. Let me back up. You need a budget. <laughs> you need a budget. You need to write out your income and all your expenses. You need to know how much you're bringing in and how much is going out. And then once you identify your income and expenses and you create a budget, a plan, then you can plan ahead that you're gonna be generous can just be part of your life on a regular basis. We're gonna tithe, we're gonna give as God leads us. It's just a part of our lives as Christians. So coming up the last week of this month, August 25th, will be Commitment Sunday. As a church, we're talking about this bold campaign and building these buildings, but as a family, we're gonna have to come together and give to make this possible. This isn't for people who are guests or they're just visiting. This is, I'm talking to people that this is your church home. You consider this your church home. And what I need you to do is to just pray and ask God how you should participate in this. I'm not gonna try to pressure you. I can't, because I don't even know what's going on in your life. Nobody wants to guilt trip you or manipulate you. We're not gonna play any emotional music with puppies on the screen. <laughs> We just want you to pray and talk to God and say, God, what should I do? And if you're married, what should we do? And then do what God says. 
starts with making a plan. Well, here's what I can do in my budget. Maybe if I cut some costs or, or find other ways to earn money. And then it's, it also involves prayer. Lord, what should I do? I'm planning and I'm praying. I'm planning and I'm praying. That's part of the process. And so on Commitment Sunday, we're going to come forward and bring our commitment cards. And we're making two-year pledges to the Bold Campaign. They involve monthly giving and one big offering up front. So what that would look like is pray and ask God how much you should give, if you should give. And then we're asking our church to give as much of that commitment up front as they can. That helps us cover the initial costs with the architects and the permits and everything. Some people, they can't give any up front. Some people can do a lot up front just based on your own situation. And so this is going to be an important spiritual journey for you over these next couple of weeks. It's going to involve you praying and listening to God and opening up your heart to God leading you in this area, which is hard for us to trust him in, honestly. And then talking to your spouse if you're married about this, and you're probably going to disagree a little bit. And then you're going to pray some more, and you're going to talk some more, and you're going to plan some more. And God's going to work through this. And it's going to be a great day as we make this initial offering and make these commitments uh, to the Bold Campaign. I'm excited for that day. So it's going to be good. So we know that God's blessing our church. He wants to bless you individually. I've never met a single Christian who did not want to be blessed. Everybody wants to be blessed by God. We all want to be blessed. I want you to be blessed. God wants you to be blessed. We all agree. We want to be blessed. And that's what God wants. So in order to be blessed, you have to understand the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping or planting and harvesting. It is a biblical principle. It's how God designed the world even. He designed the world so that plants grow and they have seeds. And if you want more plants, you got to plant, sow the seeds, right? right? You sow seeds, more plants come. That's how the world works. It's a natural law that God created to help us understand spiritual laws. That when you sow, you will reap. Nobody expects to harvest without first planting. That'd be crazy. If you showed up to a field you never saw before and you were like, where's my crops? I'd be like, well, did you plant anything? No, but I want crops. That's not how sowing and reaping works, man. If you want to reap, you've got to sow. And this is a principle throughout the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. So it is a universally true principle that you can apply to your life today. You reap what you sow. Here's the first point. We reap in kind with what we sow. We reap in kind with what we sow. So let me just kind of give you this example. If I plant corn in the ground, I shouldn't expect to harvest oranges. Because you reap in kind with what you sow. If you sow one thing, You're going to reap that thing. It's a natural law, but it's also a spiritual principle. In Galatians 6, verse 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. In other words, he's a just God. You're not going to pull one over on him. (laughs) It says this, A man reaps what he sows. Maybe you've heard that saying before. You reap what you sow. It's from this verse. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Whatever type of seed you sow determines the kind of harvest you'll reap. This applies to a lot of things, not just finances. If you sow gossip, you're going to reap gossip. You you gossip and talk about people, guess what? Probably all your friends like to gossip. And when you're not there, guess who they're talking about? (laughs) If you sow unforgiveness... You're going to reap unforgiveness. You go around bitter, making enemies, mad at people. Well, guess what? You're going to end up with a lot of enemies who are mad at you and unforgiving towards you. God said, if you want mercy, you must give mercy. If you sow encouraging words, you're going to reap encouraging words. If you're that person that you walk in the room like, man, you're so great, and I appreciate you, and you're awesome, and I love you, guess what other people are going to start doing to you? No, you're great, and I love you, because you... Reap what you sow. If you're stingy, God will be stingy towards you. 
You might get into heaven, but he's got all the blessings of heaven that he's able to pour out. But guess what? They're not going to a stingy person because you reap what you sow. If you're generous, God will be generous towards you. It's just what he does. You reap in kind with what you sow. Here's the second thing. We reap in proportion to what we sow. We reap in proportion to what we sow. If I plant 10 acres of seed, I can expect to harvest 10 acres worth of crops. This isn't like rocket science or anything. (laughs) It's very simple. It's very straightforward. If I plant 10 acres, I can't show up expecting to harvest 40 acres. Because you reap in proportion to what you sow. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 says this. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And if you plant a few seeds, you'll get some crop. But it'll be like a little bitty crop. (laughs) You plant a lot of seeds, you're not personally like, yes, let's go. There's going to be a lot of crop for you to harvest, right? And that's the way it works in the kingdom of God. It has nothing to do with the dollar amount that you give when we talk about money has everything to do with how generous you are. Generosity is relative to your personal life. God doesn't compare what you give to what other people give. He's not comparing. You're not competing against other people. God compares what you give to what you have. That's what determines whether or not you're generous. What's generous for you might not be generous for someone else, depending on how much you have. In the Bible, there's a story where Jesus was at the temple and people were giving offerings. And first, a couple of really wealthy guys came along and they were just pouring out tons of gold into the offering box, you know, really just living in that moment. And all their friends were there like, wow, great. That's amazing. You're amazing. You're the best. And then this little lady comes and she gives two coins. And Jesus looked at that lady and she said, he said, she gave more than these other guys because she gave all that she had. It was less dollar-wise, but it was more generous. We reap in proportion to what we sow, and I don't think God wants us to give equal amounts. He wants us to make equal sacrifice. Your sacrifice might not be someone else's sacrifice, but that's okay because it's about what you have to give. This is biblical. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 3 says, For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. He's talking about people in the church in Corinth who sacrificed to give. They gave what they could afford and even more. You know what that represents? They gave what they planned for, and they went even above and beyond that. Because it shows us planning, but it also tells you something else was going on there. Praying. They gave what they could give, but then they stretched even further. And I want to challenge some of you. This might be a a new concept for you, but in this next season, God might lead you to give more than you've ever given to anything before in your entire life. And it might scare you. And if it scares you, that's a good indication that it might be coming from God and not you. And I, I just want to challenge you, but encourage you at the same time. If you give what you can do and consider at some point stretching even beyond What you're doing is creating space for the Lord to come in and do what only he can do. So don't be scared of God stretching your faith because what he might want to do is come in and provide the resources that you would need in order to do what he's leading you to do. Step out in faith. Think about sacrifice. And I I just want to encourage you, whatever that looks like for you, God is pleased with our sacrificial, generous giving. It ple- whatever it looks like for you. For some people, it will be different. Man, you might have someone, and, and the, the way that they sacrifice is just giving up something. It might be giving up coffee or giving up going out to eat or giving up some kind of subscription or, or something, and that is a sacrifice, but it lets them be more generous. Other people, they might give up a vacation or put off a big purchase or they might save less for retirement for a season. One couple, they told me, we're gonna reduce our retirement savings in this next season, even though we were planning on increasing them because we want to be able to give more to the bull campaign. 
It might be putting off some big purchase. One couple, they told me they're getting ready to buy a house and they're saving up for that, but they feel like they want to give to the bold campaign. And so God said to them, they told me this, God said, if you take care of my house, I'll take care of your house. It's a sacrifice. Somebody might have like an inheritance or a bonus or something. I don't know what it is for you, but God does. God does. That's why I want you to talk to him. I can't tell you what to do because I don't know your life and your finances that way. But God knows exactly what he has for you. He wants you to pray and he wants you to step out in faith. And I think a lot of times he'll lead us to sacrifice the way that Jesus sacrificed. One young couple, they said, we were talking about the bold campaign. I love hearing all these young couples talking about it. And we said, like, well, we should give this amount. And we agreed really quickly and we went our separate ways. But then they started thinking, and, and I was hearing from one of them, usually we argue about what we should give. But we didn't argue. We just agreed. And then that started making them think, well, maybe we agreed so quickly because the amount was too low. Wow. <laughs> and so they started praying again and talking again and praying again and talking. And they came back, and they increased the amount that they want to give. Yes, that's awesome. It's a stretch. It's a sacrifice, but what they're doing is they're listening to God's voice and doing what God says to do, and that's all we want. Amen? Amen. Here's the third thing. We reap more than we sow. We reap more than we sow. Nobody would get excited about being a farmer if you planted one seed and you got one apple. just would not be a good economic proposition. But in the world that we live in, you plant one seed and a whole plant grows, a whole tree grows. And you realize it works the same in the kingdom of God. When we sow, we reap more than we sow. So you might be blessed in ways that just blow your mind. But what's so cool is we plant and then we experience a great harvest. And that's what we're going to see happen in our church. We're going to plant as a church. We're going to build one building. But over the next years, we're going to see thousands of lives being saved in that building. And we're going to plant and we're just going to keep reaping the harvest of souls. And then they'll go out and they'll touch people's lives for Jesus. We don't know who's going to get saved in that building and whose lives are going to change. But you're going to reap way more than you ever sow. You're never going to outgive God. This is such an important principle. No matter what it is that God leads you to give, you will reap more than you sow. You can't outgive God. It's never happened. Not one Christian has ever pulled it off. No one's ever given and said, you know what, guys? I did it. I outgave God. Better luck next time, God. Gotcha. It's not happened. What every single giver has learned is that even when I was really generous, God was even more generous. No one gives to God and then gets paid back, even Stevens. God always blesses us beyond what we give. You will always reap more than you sow. It says in Matthew 13, verse 8, Still other seeds fell on fertile soil. This church is fertile soil. Amen. Amen. And they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. So just know that when we invest into the kingdom of God, that return will always come back on investment beyond what we imagined or hoped for. Here's the fourth thing. We reap so we can sow more. You reap more than you sow, but you reap so you can sow more. This is the fourth thing. We reap so that we can sow even more. When a farmer brings in a harvest, what he'll do is he'll sell some of the crop. He might eat some of the crop, and then he'll save some of the crop. Why would you save it? Because you need the seed that comes from that crop so that next season, when it's planting time, you can plant again. If you eat all the seed, you won't have anything to plant. And then you'll reduce your position in life to a place of poverty and struggling. And one of the reasons that a lot of Christians struggle financially in life and they go paycheck to paycheck their entire lives is they eat all their seed. With stuff and things and bad planning and impulsive behavior. And God wants us to learn to plan and put him first in our finances and to make it a part of our regular cycle of living to be generous. When we sow, we know we're going to reap. And we're going to reap more than we sow. But it's not so that we can get rich like Scrooge McDuck and swim around in our money. 
is so that we can continue to be generous. This is, this is from the Bible, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. So the Apostle Paul was writing this to givers who were generous. And he said, stop and think about it. Think about what you have in your bank account right now. Some people would say, that's not a lot. <laughs> Some people it might be a lot. Maybe you have a lot saved for retirement. You have a lot in your bank account. You have a lot of nice things and a house and a car. And all that's good. We're, we're celebrating that. We're thankful for God's blessing in your life. But we need to stop and be reminded of this. God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and bread to eat. Translation is, every good thing you have came from God. God is the one who gave you your job. God is the one who gave you the skills to do what you do. God is the one who blessed you with a place to sleep and clothes to wear. God is the one who opened doors of opportunity for you. God is that person who gave those things to you. And some people are like, no, I did that. I worked hard and I got ahead and I sacrificed. No, no, God is the one who equipped you to do the things that you did. He's the one that kept you alive so that you wouldn't die and end up in a ditch suffering with addiction and depression and you wouldn't quit. God's the one that kept you alive and he brought you to that place and opened the job up when he did. I mean, he is the one. And you have to wrap your mind around that. Okay, yeah. Everything I have came from God. And so why it's important is this. When you talk about giving, you remember first that everything I have came from God. And if he gave me what I already have, he can equip me to continue being generous. As I'm generous and as I give, God is able to keep resourcing me. He's able to keep providing for me. All the seed and the resources that I have came from God. And as I become a generous giver, God is going to produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes. What that means is as you start giving, God is going to increase the generosity of your heart. True. You will find that as you give, God will lead you to become even more generous. Yeah. Man, yeah. you will grow in generosity. <laughs> Just watch out. You start giving, he will become more generous. I'm here to tell you, I've experienced it. It's crazy. One day you'll be like, oh, I can't give that. Next year you'll be like, I'm giving that and then some. The next year you'll be like, I'm giving that and then some and even more. Yes. And you'll be happy about it. It's weird, y'all. It's real weird. <laughs> God will produce a great harvest of generosity in you. It says you will be enriched in every way. Wow. Right. And, and that's physically, financially, spiritually. I hear so many people talk about how they gave to God financially. And they're not talking about how they got a raise or a bonus necessarily. That happens sometimes. But they talk about how then they started growing in their faith in all kinds of ways. Yeah. And it, they went to a higher level in their relationship with God. And their marriage got better. And their household became more peaceful. And they prospered in the workplace. And it all started with putting God first in their finance. You'll be enriched in every way. Yes. And that's not the end of the sentence, is it? You'll be enriched in every way. The end. <laughs> That's not what it says. So that you may always be generous. Yeah. God is going to bless you, yes, financially, but it's not just so that you can have more stuff. You're going to be blessed, but you're going to also be able to continue being even more generous over time. The people who are going to be really generous in this campaign, they're going to give. Man, some of them, it might be for the first time. Other people are going to, they're going to, people are going to give, and they've been giving to God for years and years and years now. And what you're going to find is, man, as you give more and you become more generous, God's going to bless you, and you're going to be able to give even more the next time this opportunity comes up. Some of you are going to give more in this campaign. You're going to help build this church today. And it's because God blessed you for being generous in the past. Yes. So you just got to decide today, what kind of family do you want to have? What kind of life do you want to live? A generous, blessed life? I hope that's the answer. I hope that's what we all want. I want to be generous and I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed so I can always be generous. It starts with what you have today. He who is faithful with a little will be faithful with much. If you say, I can't give now because I don't have it, man, well, that's how it's going to play out for the rest of your life. If you're waiting to get more until you give, you're never going to get more because God trusts those who are generous with more resources. He says, I will resource people who are willing to be generous. 
decide who you're going to be. Oftentimes we look at people who are blessed and we think, man, they're so lucky. Those, pe- those blessed people, so lucky. You realize that has nothing to do with luck, right? Yeah. Luck is not a part of the equation. Yeah. But we reap what we sow. Yeah. And if you want to have what blessed people have, you got to do what blessed people do. Yeah. It's just the truth. You can't look at what someone else has who's been blessed by God and say, man, I want that harvest. I want to reap that kind of crop if you're not willing to plant seeds the way that they've planted. But here's the good news. Anybody can get involved with this. Anybody can jump on board and be a part of reaping and sowing, reaping and sowing. It's available to all of us. So, and I want you to understand this truth as we close. The most important motivation for our giving is always in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who gave everything so that we could have everything. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Jesus, who was the Son of God ruling and reigning in heaven for all eternity, stretching back in times beyond what we can even conceive or imagine, made himself poor by stepping out of heaven into earth And putting on human flesh, he made himself poor. He went to the cross and died a criminal's death so that he could make you rich. We're not talking about financial riches. We're talking about spiritual riches, which far exceed temporary financial riches. Think about what that means, right? It's not just he's going to make you rich financially. That would be cool and all, but money fades. Money goes away. Money comes in and goes out. Spiritually, he changes your status for all eternity. You are adopted into God's family and made royalty. Once you're made royalty, man, you ain't got no problems, right? You become a part of the kingdom of God, a co-heir with Christ. You're now a child of God, and you know that eternally you're going to rule and reign with him. And no one can take that away from you. You become spiritually rich as you're saved, forgiven, as you now know the truth and your eyes have been opened, as you learn to walk in God's ways and discover those ways are better than my old ways. God just starts blessing us now, but it continues on and only gets better for all eternity. It starts with God. He gave his one and only son. Jesus gave his life. The Holy Spirit gives you good gifts. God is generous. So we give to God generously in response because we want to be like him. We want to be like Jesus. Amen. Amen. Are you planning to be bold? We want a bold church. We got a plan to be bold. So we're talking about this bold campaign, but then individually, I want you to participate in this in multiple ways. So here's your homework. Your homework is to think of three names of people who don't know Jesus but you're praying for them to get saved. You're gonna pray for three people to give their life to Jesus Christ. And you're like, I don't know three people. No, start and just pray. God, give me three people to start praying for. I'm praying for people to pray for right now. (laughs) Open my eyes. It it might be someone you're related to. A lot of you, that will probably be one of those people, maybe more. Could be a coworker. It could be a neighbor. God, I need three names. People I'm gonna pray for. I'm just gonna make a note and I'm gonna pray for these people. Are you planning to be bold? Okay, we'll start now. Come up with three names. You're praying for them and you're planning to see them saved. And then you're going to plan ahead for the the opportunity to reach them by uh, studying the Word of God and being prepared to give some basic answers for your faith. You don't have to be a Bible scholar, but if someone asked you what you believe, would you be able to answer? Okay, well, Ryan, I want to learn more. Teach me. I'll teach you some, but you can also read the Bible yourself and learn whenever you're ready. You can start reading and understanding God's word and what he says and how it applies to your life. And you don't have to have every answer, but you can know some of what you believe and why you believe it. And then you can prepare by thinking about your, your testimony. Your testimony. You have a testimony. You have a story of how God has changed your life. And our testimony is so powerful. Right? You're not going to see a lot of people saved by convincing them through logic and Bible answers. Although, man, logically, Jesus is the only way. You're going to change people's lives as you share your story with them. So prepare your testimony. And it looks like this. This was my life before I gave my life to Jesus and all the problems that went along with it. This is when I decided to give Jesus 
control of my life and I trusted him to save me. Here's why. And then here's what my life has been like since then. Not always perfect, but better than anything I could have imagined. That's my story. Before Jesus, after Jesus, and how I met him in the middle. Start thinking through that as you're driving to work this week or as you're sitting or as you're thinking about the Bible and meditating and praying. Just like, think, God, okay, what's my story? What is it? How did you change my life? Because I want to be ready to share that when the three people who I'm praying for open up the conversation. Because that's what's going to happen. You're going to be praying for them and then watch what happens. They're going to come. They're going to be like, you know, man, I've just been really struggling lately and just kind of wondering, like, what's the point of it all? You're going to be like, funny you ask, because... I have some things to share with you. You know, I want to tell you about how Jesus changed my life and he can change your life. That's how this works. Will you be bold for Jesus? You just have to decide right now. Decide in advance. And God will do great things through you. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be a part of building your kingdom. We wouldn't be here if you didn't first change every one of our lives individually. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for forgiving our sins. Thank you for dying on the cross in our place. God, thank you for rising again so that we could have eternal life. And thank you that we get to live with you, that your spirit dwells inside of us, that you favor us, that you teach us the truth, and that you love us even when we make mistakes. God, in this next season, I'm praying that you would stir our hearts up towards generosity and that you would speak to us wherever we're at and just start showing us your will for our lives. Lord, as we talk about giving and being generous, we only want to do what you lead us to do. So you speak to us and show us what to do and how to do it, God. And then may we be cheerful givers. Lord, we know that you're going to take the seed that we plant now. It's going to result in a great harvest of lives changed far beyond what we could ask or imagine. We're giving you praise in advance for the good things that are going to happen, Lord. We know that you're going to start opening up windows for us to have conversations about Jesus in the workplace and on the street where we live. Lord, may we have the boldness to share our faith in with other people, God. We thank you that their lives are going to be changed. Lord, we know you're doing a great thing here in this church, and it's our privilege that we get to be a part of it. In your name we